Welcome to Red State Talk Radio. You're listening to Tori Says for the next hour. I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news. Real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is May 1st, 2019, and it is May. May, 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 and corruption is blooming. We are getting everything. Today is May Day. Today is Loyalty Day. Today is Mother Goose Day, and most importantly, today is Save Rhino Day. So rhinos, obviously they're referring to rhinoceroses, but how many rhinos can be saved with what is to come this month? That is what you have to think about. Kind of interesting. We have a lot to talk about today. Uh, We have Julian Assange kind of last-minute sentencing uh, for skipping bail on a case that is no longer being pursued uh, the day before the hearing for extradition is to come. That's funny. Uh, we also have uh, William Barr's testimony going on right now. We have a lot to talk about in regards what is to come in the next couple of days. I mean, it's Wednesday. It's already Wednesday. That means it's moving fast to do what? Give us a big hard drop later on in the week. That is exactly what is going on. Pretty interesting. Very interesting. One has to wonder though, how is something like this possible? How? How can one say so simply that all of this is going on and it's totally normal because it's not? Everything that has been going on since the beginning of time is never normal. How do you define something normal? You can't. You can't define something normal. Because normal things are footprints in sands and abnormal things, novel things, moving forward, progressive developments... I would say some form of enlightenment or spiritual awakening or the great awakening are footprints in concrete that stand the test of time. And this is where we're at. 2019 is very interesting, but it's not going to be half as interesting as its second half and the first half of 2020. Now, last year before Christmas, I was telling all of you, and I was trying to at least provide information that allows you to be informed, to understand things. Let me put it this way. So today, you know, because I'm a nerd, I watch all SpaceX um, launches. 
So there was a live launch just a while ago uh, from the Kennedy Center where the heavy, Falcon Heavy, launched a satellite, uh, part of the... Uh, Air, it's, it's the Arab uh, Arabsat 6A. So Arabsat is a satellite that's owned um, by the Arab League, right? Uh, it is, most of these are actually manufactured by Lockheed Martin, just so you know. Uh, the people that uh, operate it are, uh, is King Abdulaziz, uh, the city of uh, science and tech, uh, this satellite is to facilitate uh, TV, satellite TV, internet, phones, and secure comms for customers that they have um, within the EMEA, which is uh, Europe, Middle East, and Africa. Uh, they, believe it or not, um, Arab uh, Sat 6A, which is one of the satellites, uh, the uh, Arab League owns. Uh, they also have the Saudi Geosat, um, which is with Halassat 4, which is the Saudis and the Greeks that co-own uh, a satellite. And that's up there too. They're kind of joint together. The, the curious thing is though, is that when I was taking a look at it, I was Googling to find the launch, right? Live. And I came across Wikipedia. And it's like, oh yeah, SpaceX's Falcon Heavy um, launched from Kennedy Space Center on, 11, on the 11th of April, 2019 uh, to release uh, the Arab Sat 6A, you know, into orbit. And I'm like, well, how are they saying that when I'm watching it live right now that it's being done today, May 1st? So it was pretty, pretty odd on the uh, information. And I thought I'd bring that up just to let you know that everything that's there isn't always right. Uh, it's never, <laughs> it's never accurate. And it could be that retroactively, um, maybe the date was placed as April 11th on purpose because it's a slight subtlety that people won't notice. But it's May 1st. It's not April 11th. And updating and citing articles by the Orlando Sentinel and the first post claiming that it's up on the 11th is weird because it's happening right now. You can still see live footage on YouTube uh, where you can, um, where people are talking that it was successfully launched. And I'm just saying it was a bit weird for me. Anyway, so just pointing out how fake news is made and how fake history is created. And this is just one current example. So what is going on today? I, I thought maybe we can listen to Lindsey Graham. You guys know I do not like Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham is a rhino. This is the Save a Rhino Day, right? Hence, he's saving face today. Take a listen to what he had to say, a little bit fiery, about the Strzok texts um, as he opened up, you know, uh, for the bar hearing. About the Mueller report. Now, I want to thank him for coming to the committee and giving us an explanation as to the actions he took and why he took them regarding the Mueller report. 
And here's the good news. Here's the Mueller report. You can read it for yourself. It's uh, about 400 and something pages. Can't say I've read it all, but I've read uh, most of it. There's an unredacted version over in the classified section of the Senate, a room where you can go look at the unredacted version, and I did that, and I found it not to change anything in terms of an outcome. But a bit about the Mueller report. Who is Mueller? For those who may not know, I don't know where you've been, but you may not know, Bob Mueller has a reputation in this town and throughout the country as being an outstanding lawyer and a man of the law. He was the FBI director. He was the deputy attorney general. He was in charge of the criminal division at the Department of Justice. He was a United States Marine, and he has served his country in a variety of circumstances long and well. For those who took time to read the report, I think it was well written, very thorough. And let me tell you what went into this report. There were 19 lawyers employed, approximately 40 FBI agents, intel analysts, forensic, forensic accountants, and other staff, 2,800 subpoenas issued, 500 witnesses interviewed, 500 search warrants executed, more than 230 orders for communication records so the records could be obtained, 13 requests to foreign governments for evidence, over $25 million spent over two years. We may not agree on much, but I hope we can agree that he had ample resources, took a lot of time, and talked to a lot of people. And you can read for yourself what he found. Okay, just a second there. So I just wanted to reiterate what he said. You heard how many subpoenas, how, uh, foreign governments, search warrants, people interviewed, how many people were working, right? And that he had ample resources. And even though he had ample, unlimited almost, resources, he still couldn't find any concrete collusion. The Attorney General will tell us a bit about what his opinion of the report is. In terms of interacting with the White House, the White House turned over to Mr. Mueller 1.4 million documents and records, never asserted executive privilege one time, over 20 White House staffers, including eight from the White House Counsel's Office, were interviewed voluntarily. Don McGahn, Chief Counsel for the White House, was interviewed for over 30 hours. Everybody that they wanted to talk to from the Trump campaign on the ground, they were able to talk to president submitted himself to written interrogatories. So to the American people, Mr. Mueller was the right guy to do this job. I always believe that Attorney General Sessions was conflicted out because he was part of the campaign. He was the right guy with ample resources 
and the cooperation he needed to find out what happened was given in my view. But there were two campaigns in 2016, and we'll talk about the second one in a minute. So what have we learned from this report? After all this time and all this money, Mr. Mueller and his team concluded there was no collusion. I didn't know. Like many of you here, on the Republican side, we all agreed that Mr. Mueller should be allowed to do his job without interference. I joined with some colleagues on the other side to introduce legislation to protect the special counsel that he could only be removed for cause. He was never removed. He was allowed to do his job. So no collusion, no coordination, no conspiracy between the Trump campaign and the Russian government regarding the 2016 election. As to obstruction of justice, Mr. Mueller left it to Mr. Barr to decide after two years and all this time, he said, Mr. Barr, you decide. Mr. Barr did. There are a bunch of lawyers on this committee, and I will tell you the following. You have to have specific intent to obstruct justice. If there's no underlying crime, pretty hard to figure out what intent might be if there was never a crime to begin with. The president never did anything. Did you hear that? If there was no crime, then you can't conclude what the intention was if you can't find the crime. So in essence, if I allege that you attempted to defraud me, but you haven't committed that crime, I can't say that you had the intention to defraud me because you didn't commit a crime. So let's take Hillary Clinton. She broke her blackberries with a hammer and used bleach bit. That is a crime because those devices and the information in them were owned by the federal government. That is a crime. I can therefore suggest that her intention was concealing information and her intention was to obstruct justice. Do you see how this works? So I'll be pausing throughout his little talk here, and I know everyone wants to hear him drop the F-bomb, but he said something very important about Strzok. Uh, and that is where we need to listen to that portion carefully. To stop Mueller from doing his job. So I guess the theory goes now, we don't, okay, he didn't collude with the Russians and he didn't specifically do anything to stop Mueller, but attempted obstruction justice of a crime that never occurred, I guess is sort of the, the new standard around here. We'll see if that makes any sense. To me, it doesn't. Now, there's another campaign. It was the Clinton campaign. What have we learned from this report? The Russians interfered in our election. So can some bipartisanship come out of this? I hope so. I intend to work with my colleagues on the other side to introduce the Deter Act and to introduce legislation to defend the integrity of the voting system. Senator Durbin and I have legislation that would deny anyone admittance into the United States, a visa through the immigration system if they were involved in interfering in an American election. Working with Senator Whitehouse and Blumenthal to make sure that if you hack into a state election 
system, even though it's not tied to the Internet, that's a crime. I would like to do more to harden our infrastructure because the Russians did it. It wasn't some 400-pound guy sitting on a bed somewhere. It was the Russians. And they're still doing it. And it could be the Chinese. It could be somebody next. So my takeaway from this report is that we've got a lot of work to do to defend democracy against the Russians and other bad actors. And I promise the committee we will get on with that work, hopefully in a bipartisan fashion. The other campaign. The other campaign was investigated, not by Mr. Mueller, by people within the Department of Justice. The accusation against the Clinton, Secretary Clinton, was that she set a private server up somewhere in her house and classified information was on it to avoid the disclosure requirements and the transparency requirements required of being Secretary of State. So that was investigated. What do we know? We know that the person in charge of investigating hated Trump's guts. I don't know how Mr. Mueller felt about Trump, but I don't think anybody on our side believes that he had a personal animosity toward the president to the point he couldn't do his job. This is what Strzok said on February the 12th, 2016. Now, he's in charge of the Clinton email investigation. Oh, he's Trump's abysmal. I keep hoping the charade will end and people will just dump him. February the 12th, 2016. Page is the uh, Department of Justice lawyer assigned to this case. March 3rd, 2016. God, Trump is a loathsome human being. Struck. Oh, my God. Trump's an idiot. Page, he's awful. Struck. God, Hillary should win 100 million to nothing. Compare those two people to Mueller. March 16th, 2016. I cannot believe Trump is likely to be an actual serious candidate for president. July the 21st, 2016. Trump is a disaster. I have no idea how destabilizing his presidency would be. August the 8th, 2016. Three days before Strzok was made deputy acting uh, in charge of the counterintelligence division of the FBI. He's never going to become president, right? Page destruct. No, no, he won't. We'll stop him. These are the people investigating the Clinton email situation and start the counterintelligence investigation of the Trump campaign. Compare them to Mueller. August the 15th, 2016. Struck. I want to believe the path you threw out for consideration in Andy's office, that there's no way he gets elected, but I'm afraid we can't take that risk. It's like an insurance policy in the unlikely event you die before you're 40. August 26, 2016. Just went to the Southern Virginia Walmart. I could smell the Trump support. October the 19th, 2016. Trump is a idiot. He's unable to provide a coherent answer. Sorry to the kids out there. These are the people that made a decision that Clinton didn't do anything wrong 
and a counterintelligence investigation of the Trump campaign was warranted. We're going to, in a bipartisan way, I hope, deal with Russia. But when the Mueller report is put to bed, and it soon will be, this committee is going to look long and hard at how this all started. We're going to look at the FISA warrant process. So let's just recap what he was saying in a summary. So basically, we have Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, who are supposedly investigating Hillary Clinton. Now, I have mentioned to you how Peter Strzok was sharing information with the Department of Treasury, uh, a specific individual named Priya. Uh, She was receiving information for Peter Peter Strzok on the mid-year exam. Priya was also at the Department of Energy and under, uh, well, you would say she oversaw the whole exchange of monies in regards to Uranium One. Once that was completed, she actually moved to the Department of Treasury and guess what she was in charge of? Overseeing the money exchange and overseeing and streamlining the communications in regards to the purchase of Uranium One. Are you paying attention? So not only did they want Hillary Clinton to win, so they would have put the mid-year exam to bed to make sure she wins. But they, so they were in charge of that. But then Strzok was appointed to be in charge of the investigation into this manufactured Russia collusion theory. So first, they eliminated any mid-year exam. They put that to rest really quick, right? Which is a big problem. And here is where you get the inclination of what type of indictment we're going to see against Comey. It's how he did his job as FBI director. As FBI director, you appointed Strzok to the mid-year exam. You knew that they were biased. Okay, let's pretend you didn't. But then the same people that helped close this Hillary Clinton investigation down, the same people that ensured that there was, you know, some evasiveness and intent that you couldn't find. How do you not find intent? Remember, the key and the basis of the law of saying that someone committed a crime is one, that they've committed a crime, and two, you can derive the intent from the crime that was committed. What crime did Hillary Clinton commit? She obstructed justice. Period. That is the bottom line. And how she did it was by destroying evidence. How she did it was by refusing to hand over her server. How she did it, bleach bit. How she did it in any single way, everything she did was to obstruct justice. And that is a crime. Period. And Comey's own FBI persons were overseeing that and let that go. And in turn, when that was done, And President Trump had cinched the nomination as a Republican candidate. They created a counterintelligence division and put those people that helped Hillary Clinton get, air quote, cleared, right, to create this insurance policy on President Trump and also Comey under his direction because he was director, allowed a fake, false, doctored, manufactured, paid for by Hillary Clinton, the DNC, Obama, and everybody else in between dossier and validated it by claiming so, by putting forward 
that piece of evidence to the FISA court. So this is where we're going to see Comey being indicted as how he operated and played partisan politics. So the indictment should be of the matter of obstructing justice, a miscarriage of justice, misuse of office, perjury, because he knew the dossier was not uh, verified information. He knew it was paid for by the opposition. He knew that it was all rubbish and nothing that could stand really in court. But like I've said before, in a grand jury, a prosecutor can go and get an indictment for like a ham sandwich if they want to. They just go to the judge and the jury and they're like, this person is like so bad. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. They did this. They did that. And here's one inch of possible evidence. And yeah, 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 it's good. Trust me. And they get an indictment. So the FISA court, again, is one-sided. It's the government talking, giving them whatever they want to validate their argument that they need a warrant. So this is what he did. So Lindsey Graham, who I loathe, made great points today that we can use not only to understand how extensive the Mueller investigation was, how expensive it was, and how they still came up empty, but also gave us the idea of how Comey will be indicted in the next week and possibly even this Friday. So even though I can't stand him, you know, we have to agree that he made some valid points and read the right text to put it into context. Now, after this break, we're going to look at short segments of responses that William Barr had um, to the committee. Pretty good ones, too. I'll see you all in a bit. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr., and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our legal defense fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you, and God bless America. How did you become addicted? A friend? Were you at a party and someone said, hey, try this? Then you got the cold sweats and started shaking. And the more you did it, the more it didn't work. So you switched to the needle. Now you're a train wreck. Drinking, drugging, broke. Your family hates you. And you hate you. Get out of your hell on earth now. Call the Detox and Treatment Helpline today for immediate help. In many cases, your insurance may cover the costs. We can't guarantee it, but we can guarantee we have what you need to change your life for the better. Pick up your cell phone and call right now. 855-700-2978-855-700-2978-855-700-2978. That's 855-700-2978. Guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam. Sounds great, right? Even better, your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease. If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. 
It's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219, 1-800-707-1219. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My Pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable my pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My Pillow stays cool and does not go flat. Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. MyPillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. MyPillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. MyPillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code REDSTATE. That's one 800 961-9194 promo code red state put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow the most comfortable pillow you will ever own for the best night's sleep in the whole wide world visit mypillow.com Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So we're going to continue on talking about what Barr is talking about um, during his testimony. But something he said was um, exactly what I've been saying for a long time. Remember, I told you, everyone keeps thinking that the uh, Russia counterintelligence investigation happened because George Papadopoulos was talking about... Uh, you know, oh, the Russians have something. Oh, this is happening. Um, you know, he is, everyone keeps saying that, that it started with Papadopoulos. And I've been telling you, it started way before that. This counterintelligence started way before that. Um, not about the Russian hacks. Remember, I've told you it's because of the DNC hacks. 31st, 2016. After a foreign government contacted the F- according to the Mueller, according to the Mueller report itself. Okay, so here we have Barr responding in a way where it tells you Papadopoulos was not why the investigation started or why they began this counterintelligence. Like I've told you, the DNC exchange servers were hacked in March, early March. Um, Portions of it, I think it was the Podesta one, that had happened in February or January sometime. Now, that is only from what I know in regards to the dates that it was already there. It it existed before my birthday in March online where those emails were available. So in in the room, the, the, the forum, the relay chat where these, you know, emails were, they existed prior to my birthday. So, uh, and that's only because I could only see so far back in the log that it was, you know, the first couple days of March. So the second or third of March. So I would only assume since the discussion was an array of discussion, uh, in regards to Podesta, that those were done at some point in January and February. But my point is, is that this whole counterintelligence began 
because of the DNC exchange server removal of information and the copying of information. And this was their way to mitigate and claim that whoever, if the opposition, either that would have been, you know, whoever as candidate and they already knew that Trump was going to win, uh, but they just assumed, oh, maybe it's Cruz, maybe it's Rubio. I'm sorry, I'm laughing. So, you know, they needed to have a backup policy, and this is how it really started. So take a listen to what Barr says. The investigation into the Trump campaign began on July 30. 30- this is Senator uh, Mark Lee. Uh, from Utah that's talking with Barr. Sorry, I wanted to tell you that. Give me a second. There we go. Campaign began on July 31st, 2016, after a foreign government contacted the FBI about comments made by George Papadopoulos. Is that accurate, uh, or, or were there other precipitating events that helped lead to this? That is, that is the account that is, has been given in the past as to how it got going. Well, you've previously said that you think it's possible that the Federal Bureau of Investigation improperly spied on the Trump campaign. I assume that's a reference uh, to the FISA warrant for Carter Page. Is, is that what you have in mind, or are there other circumstances that you've got in mind there? Well, one of the things I want to look uh, there are people, many people seem to assume uh, that the only uh, intelligence collection that occurred was uh, a single um, confidential informant and a FISA warrant. I'd like to find out whether that is in fact true. It strikes me as a fairly anemic effort if that was the counterintelligence effort designed to stop the threat as it's being represented. Was Carter Page under surveillance at, uh, during his time working for the Trump campaign, which was uh, roughly January 2016 to September 2016? I don't know. Was any other Trump campaign official uh, under surveillance during that time period, to your knowledge? Well, th- these are the, the things that I, I need to, to look at. So what he said was, well, that is what is being put forward. This is what they're saying. So... Uh, he didn't say, oh, yes, that's accurate. He said, this is what is being alleged. This is what they're saying. So I'm, when he talks about the spying, like he said, it can't just be one informant, which is Steele, and Carter Page, because that wouldn't be suffice to set off a counterintelligence like that can't be justified uh, as as enough for counterintelligence. So it's it's pretty intense. Now, what you need to listen to is Senator Whitehouse talking with Barr, and he tells him, in your recent testimony, you referred to authorized DOJ activities as spying. Have you ever done that before? And Barr responds, I don't think the term has any pejorative connotation. I think spying is good English word that in fact doesn't have synonyms. It was off the cuff. That was his response to that. That's pretty incredible uh, because they're really upset that discussions about spying um, are being done. But like he said, there, there must be more than just that because 
they must have had other information to put forward to go through with this counterintelligence. So it's, it's, it's pretty incredible what he's not saying in regards to it. And so, it is so wide array. I mean, what do we, what do we do here? Here, here is Durbin. Listen to Dick Durbin, what he says. This is, this is pretty, this is pretty telling what he's saying. This is just how irate they are. Hold on. Thanks, Mr. Thanks, Mr. Chairman. Thanks, General Barr. I've been listening carefully to my Republican colleagues on the other side, and it appears that they are going to work together and coordinate the so-called locker-up defense. Uh, this is really not supposed to be about the Mueller investigation, the Russian involvement in the election, the Trump campaign, and so forth. It is really about Hillary Clinton's emails. Finally, we get down to the bottom line. Uh, Hillary Clinton's emails and questions uh, have to be asked about Benghazi along the way. What about Travelgate, Whitewater? There's a lot of material we should be going through today according to their response to this. That is totally unresponsive to the reality of what the American people want to know. They paid a lot of money, $25 million for this report. I respect Mr. Mueller and believe he came up with a sound report, though I don't agree with all of it. But I find, General Barr, that some of the things that you've engaged in uh, really leave me wondering what you believe your role as Attorney General is when it comes to something like this. Ouch. So they're minimizing the email gate. They're minimizing Uranium One. They're minimizing Benghazi, saying people don't want to know about this. This is what Dick Durbin is saying. We shouldn't be talking about this. We should be talking about the Mueller report and the fact that you, Attorney General Barr, are looking into the mid-year exam about Hillary Clinton's emails makes us wonder what you're really doing and is this a lock-her-up situation. That is that is pretty, pretty darn... <laughs> that's a big deal, okay? So we need to... To, to, to listen to what the Democrats are saying on this, um, a great one is with Feinstein. This is where um, he's telling her there was no, there's no this, and it's not a crime. Take a listen to what he says on the handling of the Mueller report. It's pretty interesting, and I can't believe Feinstein is still there. Shouldn't she be behind bars already? Jeez. have a situation where a president essentially tries to change the lawyer's account in order to prevent further criticism of himself. Well, that's not a crime. So she's like, well, he's telling whatever the lawyers are saying that they need to say it differently so he doesn't look bad. And he's like, okay, well, that's not a crime. Like, what are you saying? So he doesn't want to look bad, so he's... A criminal now? Listen to what Schiff has to say in regards to Barr testimony. This is very telling because in the second hour, we're going to be able to solidly make uh, good assumptions on what's to come end of this week, uh, beginning next week. Leading summaries from the Justice Department through the Attorney General. I don't think we can rely on the Justice Department to be summarizing what Bob Mueller said in that conversation to Bill Barr. Uh, we know from Mueller's own words from that letter that he viewed the, Mars, the Barr summary as misleading, as essentially allowing the White House to create this false narrative. Uh, no, this is a serious business. 
Uh, what Barr is going to have to explain today is why he deliberately misled the Congress. His statements in particular to Representative Christ, when Representative Christ asked him, are you aware of these reservations that were reported in the press by Bob Mueller? And Barr's answer was no. That was deliberately false and misleading. So uh, and, you know, I think the additional question, John, is we suspected before we got the report that Mueller produced his own summary. So why did Barr feel it necessary to uh, create his own summary uh, to help the White House in this way? Uh, and now we know that not only did those summaries exist, but that Mueller had pleaded with him to release those to the public. So I'll ask it this way. Did the attorney general lie to Congress? Uh, I think his statement uh, is, is deliberately false and misleading. And yes, most people would consider that to be a lie. Uh, he's a very smart man. He knew exactly what he was being asked by Congress. Uh, and he knew his answer was false. Uh, so look, there's no sugarcoating this. I think he should step down. Uh, it's hard, I think, for the country to have confidence in the top law enforcement official in the country if he's act, asked a direct question as he was, and he gives a directly false answer. Uh, so this is this is serious business. Uh, it it is you know after the after two years of work in an investigation implicating the president of the United States for the attorney general to mislead the public for an entire month uh, before releasing that report is inexcusable. So now he's saying that Attorney General Barr is, has been misleading everyone. So he's supposed to be answering questions. And here is where he answered the whole he, you know, was uh, not clear uh, with Mueller's findings and how he was iffy on it. Uh, take a listen to Attorney General Barr's response to that after supposedly his letter on Mueller's findings were released and that he wasn't suggesting that it wasn't done right. Declined. Uh, on Thursday morning, I, rece I received, it probably was received at the department Wednesday night or evening, but on Thursday morning I received a letter from Bob, the letter that's just been put into the record. And I called Bob and said, you know, what's the issue here? Are you and I asked him if he was suggesting that the March 24th letter was inaccurate. And he said no, but that the press reporting had been inaccurate. And that the press was reading too much into it. And I asked him you know, specifically what his concern was. And he said that his concern focused on his explanation of why he did not reach a conclusion on obstruction. And he wanted more put out on that issue. Uh, he wanted, uh, he argued for putting out summaries uh, of each volume, the executive summaries uh, that had been written by his office. Uh, and if not that, then other material that focused on the issue of why he didn't reach the obstruction question. But he was very clear with me that he was not suggesting that uh, we had misrepresented his report. Uh, I told Bob that I was not interested in putting out summaries and I wasn't going to put out the report piecemeal. I wanted to get the whole report out. And I thought summaries, by very definition, regardless of who prepared them, would be under-inclusive 
and we'd have sort of a series of different debates and public uh, discord over each tranche of, of information that went out, and I wanted to get everything out at once, and we should start working on that. So as you heard from him, uh, the, even Mueller said they were reading too much into it, saying things like that. They were reading too much into my summary and my, you know, distribution of it. They were reading too much into your letter, making it sound like you didn't agree. So again, this is Congress. And like I've said, the House wanted the report so they can find one hair out of place and run with it. But for me, the hair out of place is who he didn't question, who he didn't talk to, and who he didn't subpoena. Uh, there's tons of people that he could have, and he didn't. And so that is the most important uh, part of it, uh, if anything. Now, I do not like Barr. He is doing his job, and he is attempting to, within the guidelines that he can by the law do what he's supposed to be doing as AG enough to be there to ensure that the old guard still stands. But it's when we get the inspector general report and uh, referrals must be made and he refuses to is where we're going to have the issue. This is where we're going to have the problem with Barr. Now we have the left calling for him to resign, to be fired and to be removed, which is great because this is how they work. They hate him. They don't want him even though he's one of them, they're like, oh, you flipped on us, you're out, the left is foaming at the mouth, and this is exactly how it happens all the time. They're saying, get rid of them, we don't want them, he's bad, he's this, but the bottom line is, is um, he's staying until he's not gonna do his job. So Mueller is clear that, you know, there was no problem with his report yet you know they're telling us it's different now here's where william barr says that president trump was falsely accused feinstein already got smacked down take a listen to him responding to feinstein and i urge you guys to go back and see some of this video because it's very telling when you see feinstein's face an identifiable conflict that made sense or else doesn't it just become a fabrication well this, now we're going to shift from the issue of uh, writing the, the, the memo or somehow putting out a release uh, later on and the issue of the, the actual direction to McGahn. So the question on the direction to McGahn has a number of different levels to it. Uh, and first, as a matter of, of law, I think the department's position would be that the president uh, can uh, direct the termination or the replacement of a special counsel. And as a matter of law, the obstruction statute does not reach that conduct. Putting that aside, the next question would be, even if it reached the conduct, could you here establish corrupt intent beyond a reasonable doubt? What makes this case very interesting is that when you take away the fact that there were no underlying criminal conduct and you take away the fact that there was no inherently malign obstructive act, that is, the president was carrying out his constitutional duties, the question is, 
what is the impact of, of taking away the underlying crime? Um, and um, it's not, as the report suggests, that one impact is, well, we have to find some other reason why the president would obstruct the investigation. But there's another impact, which is, if the president is being falsely accused, which the evidence now suggests that the accusations against him were false, if he, and he knew they were false, and he felt that uh, this investigation was unfair, propelled by his political opponents, and was, and was hampering his ability to govern, that is not a corrupt motive for replacing an independent counsel. So that's another, another reason that you know, we would say that the government would have difficulty proving this beyond a reasonable doubt. My time is Thank you. So you should see Feinstein's face. She didn't really like his answer, but he was on point. He says, you're trying to say because he wanted to replace the independent counsel, which he could by law, and even if he did by law, you can't say that's obstructing justice if he's replacing him. But what he realized is, is hold on a second. From what we get from this report, that he never removed the guy, okay, never removed the guy, that indeed he was being falsely accused, so his words and his actions or his temperament toward it by saying that it was unfair, that it was done by his opposition, that they were all out to attack him, that this was a witch hunt and a sham, is not any indication of obstruction of justice. It's making a clear point. That when someone feels that there's a false accusation out there, that they will respond to it. They won't sit there with their hands on their lap. She didn't really like that answer, but she had to take it because it was very thorough and it went by the law. So I urge you, when you have the time, to actually look back and look at the video yourself and see exactly what the responses are because they are very, very telling. I personally am surprised that William Barr went. It's May the 1st, but you know what? It's great because it gives them content to talk about because tomorrow we will have a lot uh, to talk about in regards to the sanctions against Iran and new tariffs, new sanctions being issued. So William Barr is, uh, was perfect timing to come out today. Perfect timing because we have Assange being sentenced to 50 years in prison in England uh, on the eve, all of a sudden, automatically being heard in a court of law and sentenced to, nevertheless, so quickly in England, the day before he's supposed to be heard for extradition. We've got the Democrats hoping that they can entrap or get William Barr to say something different or give them a glimmer of hope that they can follow through. And he's telling them, listen, man, you want to grab whatever, you can say whatever you want, but you can't do it beyond reasonable doubt, and there's nothing there. There's no there there. Because once the crime is gone and there's no crime, then how do you say, well, the intention was there? How do you know what the intention was? It's like saying... You know, the person was walking around at 2 a.m. in the alleyway of houses with a hoodie up. So their intention was to rob a house. Well, how do you know that? Maybe they just wore the hoodie because it was cold or they had an earache or they just felt like wearing it. No, the intention is if you're wearing dark clothing and a hoodie and it's 2 a.m. and you're trolling around in people's back areas, you're a criminal. 
So this is what they were trying to do. They were trying to find intention even though there was no crime. And so using Barr and having him testify would give them hope. They were hoping to get something that would allow them to direct intent and start driving conversation. So May the 1st, really weird day, really close to Comey's indictment, really like the day before, we're going to be discussing Assange's extradition tomorrow. Will it happen? Will it not happen? We're going to be discussing sanctions that are going to be happening at our time, nighttime, their time, morning time. I don't know. Maybe they get deadline of Washington, D.C., morning, 9 a.m. Who knows? We have a lot going on, a lot going on. And, you know, this Pence thing, you know, I've already said I never trusted Pence the minute he did what he did at the beginning of 2017 period. I didn't like him when he was on the campaign, but I was like, you know what? He had to get... A rhino, it saved the rhino's day today. He had to get a rhino with him so that way he can more mm, have a more reinforced and legitimate, in air quote, presidency, right, as they would say. But keep in mind, people know, and the Navy knows. I have friends that were texting me how... Uh, Vice President Pence uh, had gone to the USS Truman, right, to speak, and no one wanted to clap, but they were told to, like it was like a TV show, like clap for Pence, clap for Pence, because nobody likes him. Because unfortunately, uh, you know, our military understands things that maybe civilians don't. And it's, it's pretty telling when your vice president is there and they didn't want to applaud him or clap for him or anything. Uh, you know, it was Norfolk is, is, is Navy town, right? And the sailors were told, um, to clap and they said that to the press and not to harm Trump's campaign but to reinforce how they don't approve of Pence there's little things you see and little nuances and remember the president did introduce him during that speech with the NRA oh let's welcome the great vice president Mike Pence come on you're so great we know what that means so after the break Let's talk. Let's uh, continue a little bit about Barr. Talk about it. Uh, talk about Assange, and kind of put things into perspective to see what's to come tomorrow and Friday. I mean, it's already Wednesday, so it's pretty huge. It's going to be super huge. You're listening to Tori Says. For the next hour, I'll be your host, Tori. We'll be discussing news, foreign and domestic, unfiltered news.
Real news. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. So uh, remember, you can always follow me on Twitter and Gab at Tori underscore says. I'm always here Monday through Friday, 12 to 2 Eastern time. So we'll talk about Barr in the second hour. I wanted to shift gears and talk about Assange. So Assange was taken out of the uh, Ecuadorian embassy by force just a few weeks ago. And now he is, he was in jail. He was being detained uh, by the British government and went to trial today. He was actually sentenced today for skipping bail in 2012 for charges that were dropped. So think about it this way. Say you were being charged with stealing a lipstick from a store, right? And you're supposed to, you went to court, you paid your, you know, $50 bail for petty theft or whatever. And then you didn't show up for your court date. And then seven years later, seven years later, they detain you. In the meantime, you know, the store decides, hey, you know, you didn't steal the lipstick because we saw the camera footage and it turns out that we misplaced it and it was already there or, you know, forget the lipstick. We really don't care. We don't have time for this. We're dropping all the charges. So they drop all the charges. They don't hunt you down. The case is pretty much gone, but you're arrested and then you're tried to 50 weeks in jail for a crime that you might have committed but you didn't because there's no case but you skip bail are you getting it this is just how insane it is for some reason the united kingdom just took the ball back from us they took the ball into their courts and are holding Assange hostage. Now there's people saying, oh my gosh, this is insane. No, you know what's insane? That they have a judge there that try to make sense of this. They had a judge there saying, well, you cost us all this money monitoring you so we can nab you at any given moment if you left the, the embassy. When you knew they dropped charges, you could have walked out. Well, um, there's a lot of people that want to kill me. I'm not going to walk out. Um, and if I was going to walk out, you'd arrest me for jumping bail on a case that was dismissed. I'm not understanding or that was dropped. It's pretty insane, guys. Think about it. The judge was trying to excuse why they were giving him the maximum penalty. Corruption. Disgusting. How could they do this? But they're doing it not because it's justice. But it's because it's politics. And today I even dropped another article on how people in positions like judges collude with local and national and international officials to play politics. They use their position in office as judges, as the most highest esteemed to uphold the law, whichever that may be in whatever country, city, state you exist. And they use that authority to intimidate harass and pursue political opponents for themselves, personal pleasure, whatever that may be. You know, today I wrote an article about a judge, Supreme Court judge in Washington that was appointed by 2020 Democrat hopeful Jay Inslee, which by the way, his 
social media needs to be fired because the minute I published that article, they responded to it with a, you should join and donate to his campaign now. Join the climate change movement. And I'm like, dude, who hired these people? Like this article was, you know, implying that he appointed this judge knowing that he's a pervert and a rapist. But okay. So this is a problem we see all the time. Judges taking political sides, using their bench to appease political counterparts, general politics, and in this case, the United Kingdom to be able to save face. See, we still haven't released the FISA applications without redactions. Those redactions, once removed, will implicate many people within the United Kingdom. It will throw a lot of shame into their face, and they just move their piece on the chessboard because they have EU elections coming up. I mean, and it's stupid. Who cares about EU elections? So you're going to get someone into parliament. It's not like they could do anything anyway. They all sit there. They all vote. And their vote means diddly squat. Because there's people in the, EU, in the EU commission that make the laws and decide it and don't give a crap or two shakes of a lamb. They don't really care what the people vote. They're voting, but these unelected people who nobody knows the names of, that have no names on their door, down at the EU, make the decisions for them. So it's a facade. It's fake. It's phony. So who cares about your elections? They're stupid. Because... Farage even said it. I've been there for so many years, and even if I'm voting, who cares? Because our vote doesn't really count. We're just talking and talking and talking, hoping that we can influence the people we don't know that are making these laws. So this is why they have Assange. This is why they booked a courtroom. They immediately had him sentenced with a drop of a hat. Where's the evidence? Where's this? Don't tell me. You've been collecting it all this time, right? No. You're holding a chip... And you want to bargain with the United States. This is why tomorrow we have his extradition hearing. Now, just so you know, extradition uh, from the UK to the US is a lot easier than the US sending someone over to the UK. But here's the thing. If someone is already a prisoner in that country, does that country pardon them the time there and extradite them? (coughs) Are there laws? There aren't really. There are no real laws. There's no law saying, well, they need to complete the sentence and then. So, you know, it's it's not like it's something that, you know, is set in stone. It's not like they're going to say, well, let him finish the 50, 50 weeks and then you can have him. They could do that, though, because there's no real set rules. It's a case-by-case basis. So, uh, you know, if there's a crime, you know, done then let's pretend you commit a crime in the United Kingdom. You do. And you're a dual citizen, and you went to England, and you committed a crime of, I don't know, money laundering within the U.S. and the U.K. So then both these countries' law enforcement have to sit together and decide where they, where they want to prosecute the case, okay? Do we prosecute them in the United States? Where was the most damage done, etc.? Now, in this case... Assange committed one crime, supposedly. I don't know how it's a crime for him skipping bail on a case that no longer exists, but okay. I mean, they could have gave him a slap on the wrist. 50 weeks? Come on, man. That's like super excessive. 
But, you know, 50 weeks kind of counts on their Brexit thing, but we'll get into that later. So he's committed a supposed crime of skipping bail in England on a case that no longer exists. And then he's committed a supposed crime of hacking, even though the text don't show hacking. So that's super weird. Uh, within the U.S. helping Chelsea Manning hack for that information that was provided to Julian Assange. So how do we do this? So basically it's kind of like you look at the case. So they've already tried him and they've sentenced him in England for 50 years. Now trying this case in the United Kingdom, uh, you know, you can't try crimes against the United States of hacking in the United Kingdom. So that doesn't apply. And remember, Julian Assange is not an American citizen, nor is he actually um, a citizen of the state there. So this is where it gets a little bit iffy. Like, how do you do it? It's so, you know, the United States and the United Kingdom have great relationships. Uh, The United States has never um, denied uh, the United Kingdom any extradition, but the UK has denied 10 requests since they've done the treaty. So the UK has denied extradition. The US has never denied. Okay. So sometimes extradition requests, just so you know, take a long time. The longest one recorded between the uh, extradition from the UK to the US is 13 years because they have to go through the European court system. Do you see what I'm saying? So now Julian Assange is in jail. They sentence him for 50 weeks and the UK can now kick it over to the European courts and say, well, the EU courts are going to have to take a look at this and the Human Rights Council and this and that. So yeah, this is going to be a problem. This is stonewalling. And remember, the United Kingdom now has... Julian Assange. They have full control over his well-being, his health, and his mental stability. Speaking of mental stability, we only have to look at Manning entering prison and how he came out of she exiting prison and how they were mentally, how, how he, she was mentally abused and conditioned. So there is a concern for Assange's well-being. Tomorrow will indicate on what side of the fence the United Kingdom sits. At this point, I wouldn't even put it past that if they demand that he execute the sentence of 50 weeks before they're allowed to begin the extradition process, it's a big deal. Because basically, the minute the extradition hearing happens tomorrow, a lot of people are like, oh my God, this is so unfair. He's going to have an unfair hearing at the UK courts to be extradited to the US. Here's how it can go. So the one thing is the UK is like, listen, it's skipping bail. We gave him 50 weeks, but you can have him. Here you go. That's good faith. That's us saying, all right, maybe we won't redact everybody's name on the FISA application warrants. And we won't embarrass you too much. So that's one scenario. The other scenario is he goes there, they're like, yeah, well, he was just sentenced to the UK, so we got to put this on hold until next year, April um, or March, where we can hear it again when he's completed or near completion of his sentence. So this pushes us back a year. 
Now, if that happens during that year, if they've exited the European Union, it's done there. Extradition, he comes over here 2020, uh, you know, April. If they have not left the European Union, once that extradition hearing happens, what happens? It gets kicked over to the European Union, and you'll see the extradition be prolonged for at least 10 years. It'll be way past Donald Trump's time. It'll be way past the first term of the next president in 2024. So this is how politics work. You get it. They have him and they've just moved their ball into their court. When I see people screaming, oh my gosh, this is a way. Yeah, what happened to him today was extremely unfair, but it is political. Julian Assange is in great danger just in prison. They feed him. They control his food, his medication, his health care. They can do whatever they want. Someone who is incarcerated is the most vulnerable person there is. They could be poisoning them slowly. They can be providing a certain chemical in their food that over a long period of time can cause failure, organ failure that may not be able to be determined where it came from. These are things that happen in reality. These are things that we've seen happen in military institutions. So what people need to understand is that Assange is now a pawn. So tomorrow will be very, very telling on how our UK relations are. I'm telling you that the first step that we have to look at is, will they extradite him and say, well, he's got 50 weeks. We gave him that. We sentenced him to that. Maybe you can pay his term. Maybe we'll send him. Maybe we'll let you borrow him, but you got to send him back or something. But the bottom line is, if they give him to us, that's great. We've got good relations with the United Kingdom. If they don't and they give us a, well, he needs to complete a sentence, maybe we'll give him to you in November. So that way they could see how Brexit goes. Um, that's buying time. If they say he needs to complete the 50 weeks, that's because they know they're remaining within the EU. And they know that they will bury it. A lot of people are like, well, that's great. Keep him 50 weeks. Oh, it's 50 weeks and he's just going to come in April and we're going to have a full bloom of expose killing everything about Mueller in 2020 just in time for the elections to shame the Democrats. That's not going to happen. That is not going to happen. That will not happen. If they do not hand him over tomorrow or if there's no inclination to provide him within this year, we are never going to get Julian Assange, and I highly doubt that Julian Assange will be in any position to testify ever in the future. This is grim, but it's true. He has now been used upon. He is safer in the United States than he is in Europe. He is a lot safer in the United States. Right now, he holds the keys to the kingdom. He holds all the information we need about Seth Rich to blow this all up, to get them not only for lying and creating this fake Russia collusion because of their server hack and then the server hack being fake, thus the indictments against the Russians being fake, thus everything just being fake and false, but there's murder involved. And how many other people with no name have been murdered or ousted or imprisoned wrongfully for maybe making a wrong left turn because they want to shut them up?
<laughs> you think that doesn't happen? <laughs> when they want to shut you up, they can lock you up for stupid things like skipping bail for a case that, that's been dropped for 50 weeks. They have their ways. One wrong left turn and you could be in prison for 10 years because they say so. And no one's going to know. Because you work for the government. You work for the DNC. How many other faceless victims, nameless victims that you don't know about exist? Do you think Seth Rich didn't talk about it with other people? Yes, he did. A lot of them were benefited. We should ask his girlfriend. We should ask his roommates. Funny how none of those people were questioned. You know, in regards to the DNC exchange server. If there's so much evidence... Metro PD in Washington has evidence. They saw his computers and his phones. Camera, body cam footage, hospital stuff. Everything's just so quiet. None of that was in that DNC exchange server thing. Um, (laughs) And forensically, it was done with a thumb drive. It wasn't hacked by any Russians. Assange is now a pawn. And on him lies the accountability for the Democrats for murder of two people we know, Seth Rich and Sean Lucas. There's more. There are a lot more people that died that you don't know about, that disappeared that you don't know about, that were incarcerated for BS things that you don't know about because this is how they work. They don't tell you about these things. You never hear it. Why did you hear about Seth Rich? Because he was someone a little bit more prominent. Why did you hear about Sean Lucas? Because he worked with a prominent attorney on the DNC fraud lawsuit, Jared Beck. I mean, come on, guys. Julian Assange right now is the ball. And the UK just kicked that ball into their court. And they're waiting to see how we respond. I guarantee you we are talking about that right now. Because tomorrow, 9 a.m. local time in London, he is having his extradition hearing. And if that extradition hearing ends with let him finish his term, you all know we're never going to see Assange on U.S. soil. We're never going to see anyone be held accountable for the crimes they committed and this obfuscation and obstruction of justice and manufactured narrative that they put together about this Russia collusion. Seth Rich will not be avenged. They will allow it to perpetuate and fester. So tomorrow will be very, very indicative of what kind of relations we have with the United Kingdom and considering that we have a state visit in a few weeks over in the United Kingdom that I told you about first. Remember that. We'll see if the president even goes or cancels it. Because I would. I would tell the queen, you are using an individual as a pawn. The individual that can help me fix my nation and help it heal. Lock these criminals up and you are using it as a pawn. You are not someone I want to visit with. I would love for the president to decline the invitation. I would love it because this is him telling them we no longer play together. You're corrupt. You tried to interfere with my country's election. You tried to overthrow my government. 
you usurped the democratic process in my country. I'm not coming. By the way, did we see that the president accepted the invitation? I don't know. I haven't seen that. I'll check that over the break. But tomorrow will be very, very telling. Tomorrow is such a busy day, so I have no idea how fiery Friday is going to be. It's going to look like forest fires everywhere. It's going to be so hot. It's going to be the sun temperature. Because we've got the United Kingdom, foreign relations. Turkey, foreign relations. China, foreign relations. Japan, foreign relations. South Korea, foreign relations. Greece, Italy. Taiwan, Whoa, like we've got a lot tomorrow. A lot of things are happening all at once. And today we've given the fake news media chit chat, you know, where we have the Democrats trying to throw in some jabs to Barr to try to get him to say something on the record. And he's kind of like, well, the law says kind of shutting him up right there. They're all posturing. They're all talking Oh, they're really trying. But that's okay. We can give them that narrative because tomorrow it's going to be everyone at the Trump administration is going to be holding a fire extinguisher. But you know what? The mainstream media, the fake news, they've dumbed down their audience so much that they wouldn't even understand the foreign issues that we have. Like, they're so dumb, most of them don't even know where Iran is, how big of a nation it is. They don't even know how big Turkey is. They just think of vacation and, and, you know, Turkish delights. They're dumb. They don't know. They don't understand because they're not getting the news and they're not explaining it to them. So even the Julian Assange, they won't know. They're going to sit there and say something dumb like, well, he has to complete a sentence before they look at it. They won't say what kind of implication that would be. They won't tell them, hey, you know, if they remain within the European Union, this means that the extradition hearing can take over 10 years going through the EU court system. You know, if they say, yes, okay, we could do the extradition hearing, but there's an appeal for it to go to the EU court, again, it's going to take decade to get through that system too through the European courts. It's not that fast. So tomorrow, if they're like, okay, sure, you can have them. But since we're in the EU now, we have to kind of like talk to them. Or, you know, Julian Assange's attorney will appeal, you know, the extradition. And then it'll go to the Human Rights Council. And those are backlogged for forever and a day. So if we don't get Julian Assange like right then and there then that's a big issue. And I hope that Julian Assange, well, I'm pretty sure he is because he's a smart guy, understands how he's now the ball and how they're using him. So it's it's pretty important that... Uh, I'm just really shocked with this whole Julian Assange thing. They should have just extradited him, but they threw that curveball with that, and it's pretty saddening. But tomorrow we have so much going on, guys. Aside from the United Kingdom, we've got petrodollar. We've got to talk about that. We've got Venezuela literally on fire because Venezuela will relieve a lot of these issues for countries like China, Korea, um, Japan uh, in regards to oil. 
So the only thing that we have is Turkey, and that's a big issue. Russia is really eager to uh, implement and begin their uh, mineral mining and those investments that they put there. China is very interested in get going because they purchased a port and uh, some mineral rights for oil uh, so they can get a percentage of what is created, which will help supplement uh, their deficit Uh, if they honor U.S. sanctions. So we've got so much going on, and yet right now in the House we're talking about – there's a saying, the world's on fire, but Marie is combing her hair. It's kind of like, you know, you're sitting there, the whole world is on fire around you, and you're busy just stroking your hair with a brush. That's exactly what we're seeing in the House. They're just combing their hair while the world is on fire. We really have some big – issues coming up tomorrow on all fronts with allies and that's in air quotes and bona fide enemies of the state um and then we have this border issue it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and there is no control over that we are really trying um after the break let's talk about tomorrow's sanctions uh and let's revisit a couple of new points that Barr brought up and what's going on. I'll see you all in just a bit. Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr., and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our Legal Defense Fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you and God bless America. How did you become addicted? A friend? Were you at a party and someone said, hey, try this? Then you got the cold sweats and started shaking. And the more you did it, the more it didn't work. So you switch to the needle. Now you're a train wreck. Drinking, drugging, broke. Your family hates you. And you hate you. Get out of your hell on earth now. Call the Detox and Treatment Helpline today for immediate help. In many cases, your insurance may cover the costs. We can't guarantee it. But we can guarantee we have what you need to change your life for the better. Pick up your cell phone and call right now. 855 700 2978 855 700 2978 855 700 2978 that's 855 700 2978 guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam sounds great right even better your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease if you're a US citizen between 50 and 80 you can get life insurance guaranteed It's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219, 1-800-707-1219. Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for MyPillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. MyPillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable my pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My pillow stays cool and does not go flat. 
Plus, it's machine washable and dryable. My Pillow has a 10-year warranty and a 60-day comfort guarantee. My Pillow is also the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, and it's made right here in the USA. My Pillow is now offering Red State Talk Radio listeners a four-pack special with two premium standard or queen pillows and two go anywhere pillows. That's four pillows for the price of one. To take advantage of this special offer, call 1-800-961-9194 and ask for promo code Red State. That's 1-800-961-9194. Promo code Red State. Put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow, the most comfortable pillow you will ever own. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit mypillow.com. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tori Sess Show. I'm your host, Tori. Thanks for tuning in. Now, I want to play a video where Nadler had a severe meltdown uh, during uh, this uh, hearing. And just take a listen to it because it's pretty interesting. It is pretty shocking, too. Like, he was acting like a baby. He is P.O.'d. The motion is approved. <laughs> The gentleman from Florida is recognized for the purpose of an amendment. Oh, we just, we just, okay. Then, uh, excuse me, a reporting quorum being present. The question is on the adoption of the motion pursuant to House Rule 11, Clause 2J. Chairman, those in favor Mr. say Chairman, aye. Mr. Chairman, those no. Mr. Chairman, the ayes have it. The Mr. Motion. Chairman. Ice have it. The motion, Mr. Is agreed. Chairman, I seek recognition. The motion is agreed to. Unless won't recognize members of the committee. Unless who want to speak on this motion. Does anyone wish to ask for a recorded vote? Mr. Chairman, I've asked for recognition. We're not allowing. Clerk will report. Republicans the will, If you're not Republicans, we're not allowing Republicans to debate this motion. You may record here. What, we ought to be going by the rules and giving people a chance to debate. No wonder the AG doesn't want to come here and testify when you're running things without regard for debate. Gentlemen, totally unfair. We're in the middle of a vote. The clerk will report the result. Mr. Chairman, I get no amendments. Hold on a second. The ranking and point of personal. Point of inquiry. The clerk will report the results. Regular order. The parliamentary inquiry will be entertained after the clerk reports the result. Mr. Chairman, clerk will report the result, and then we will. Do you want the eyes to call the roll? roll I'm sorry, Mr. Chairman. We've already asked for it. I thought you recognized the gentleman from Florida for an amendment. Clerk will call the roll. Mr. Chairman, you said you were going to recognize Mr. Gates for an amendment. Mr. Chairman, move the table. Mr. Chairman, I move to amend. Clerk, Mr. Chairman, I move to adjourn. We're in the middle of a roll. We're in the middle no, of a no, no. We were in the middle of debate, debate. and you ended it without the question being called. I wasn't in the middle of offering a debate. Mr. Chairman, I move to adjourn. Regular order. Regular order. That's a privileged motion. Motion to adjourn. Motion to adjourn. Motion to adjourn. Guys, are you listening to this? Wait, this keeps going for like another minute. Like all Nadler's doing is hammering down, didn't let people debate. And he's like, let's go for a vote. No roll call. People are freaking out. They're like, what is going on here? Like, who do you think you are? Hammer, 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 hammer. Let's do this. Take a listen to how this escalates. 
The motion to adjourn is not in order in the middle of a roll call. Well, the roll has not been called yet. We were in the middle of debating, and you didn't I, allow it. I was in the middle of offering an amendment. Mr. Chairman? The ayes and nays. You'd recognize the man. Mr. Chairman? Mr. Chairman? You said you'd take the clerk will report the result. Can you recognize the man from Florida? The clerk will report the result. Mr. Chairman, I appeal the ruling of the chair on the motion to adjourn, which is a privileged resolution. Mr. Chairman, there were 15 ayes, 20. Mr. Chairman, I appeal. Finish. That was on the table. That was on the table. Clerk will report the result. Yeah. It was before it called. I mean, we can sit here and ram this through and the two two trains on the table. Mr. Chairman, there were 15 ayes, 22 no's. 15 ayes, 22 no's on the motion to table. The motion to table is not adopted. Mr. Chairman. That was a motion to table. Mr. Chairman, we didn't even get the results of the earlier vote. We just did. Did you guys hear that? He's like, wait a minute, motion to table what? So Nadler doesn't even know what he's doing there, let alone run the committee. Pay attention to this crazy house run by the Democrats. Mr. Chairman, the one before that. Mr. Chairman. Motion to table is not adopted. Mr. Chairman. That was previous. The next item on the agenda was Mr. Gates. Um, I don't need to apologize, gentlemen. for, For an amendment. That whole contract sense was on a motion to table, which was not adopted. I have an amendment to this. Table what? Table what? Mr. Chairman, I reserve a point of order on the amendment. Wait a minute. Mr. Gates is offering an amendment, correct? Yes. And I reserve a point of order, Mr. Chairman. Oh, okay. Clerk will report. A point of order is reserved. The clerk will report the amendment. Amendment to the he didn't even know what they were tabling, what they were doing, how they were doing it, and when they were doing it. How insane is this? And this guy is running the committee. And like they said, no wonder Barr doesn't want to come here. You're running the show. You're a clown. He's sitting there hammering. People are like, hello, hello. He's not acknowledging everyone. Anyone, actually. Nobody. Uh, he's talking about things. The clerk's like, um, do I say something? Do I not? He's sitting there. He's like, wait a minute. What did we just table? I'm, I don't know what we're doing. He's just banging his hammer, moving along. This, this is crazy. Think about it. These are the people that make the laws for our nation, okay? And the dude running the place didn't even know what they were talking about. That speaks volumes. Now, I want to point out one specific uh, discussion. It's like a minute clip of William Barr pretty much saying, I don't know why Obama didn't tell Trump about the FBI investigation. He said it himself, which indicates intent, doesn't it? Because how do you hand over a presidency and not tell him, hey, by the way, the FBI is investigating you on this. You need to know. There needs to be full transparency. During that transition period, how was he not made aware of what was going on? That is incredible in itself. For that reason, Obama should be impeached. Take a listen. Briefing that uh, in a counterintelligence investigation. Well, you could have different kinds of defensive briefings. Um, if, if, if you learn that somebody is being targeted by a hostile intelligence service, uh, then one form of in- defensive briefing is to go and to alert that person to the risks. I think Attorney General Lynch has said it, would, it is routine in counterintelligence investigations. Would you agree with her? Yes. Do you know 
whether a defensive briefing was ever given to the Trump campaign by the FBI based on their counterintelligence investigation? Did they ever tell the president before he was um, January 2017 what the Russians were trying to do and advise him to tell people affiliated with this campaign to be on, on their guard and be vigilant about Russian efforts to undermine public confidence in the election? My understanding is that didn't ha happen. That would be an ex that failure to pr provide a defensive briefing to the Trump campaign. That would be an extraordinary or notable uh, failure. Would you agree? I think under these circumstances, it's one of the things that I can't fathom why it why it did not happen. If you're concerned about interference in the election, uh, and you have you know substantial people involved in the campaign who were former U.S. attorneys, you had three former U.S. attorneys there. Uh, in the campaign. I, I don't understand why uh, the Bureau would not have gone and, and uh, given a defensive briefing. Huh. So why didn't he tell him? I mean, Obama's administration was so adamant that there was a problem with the elections that he should, you know, that they had mobilized international forces to figure out this election meddling, right? They did, didn't they? But here it is, even President Trump, let's read his tweet. Um, and I responded to it, and that was a pretty good tweet that he sent out. Uh, he said, hold on, let me pull this up. He said, why didn't President Obama do something about Russia in September before the November election when told by the FBI he did nothing? He had no intention of doing anything. So here's the thing. Now we learn that Obama knew all about this counterintelligence investigation into the Trump campaign and, you know, didn't say anything about the Russians, didn't even try to stop it before November. And it is his duty in normal practice that they tell the incoming president during transition, or at least once he swears in, yo, you better have your people on alert because the Russians are trying to influence everything and undermine our elections. But here's the thing. This is why he should be impeached. People so soon forget, and I responded to the president's tweet with this video, how Obama literally said this when discussing Russia meddling into um, our elections. Here's what he said. Take a listen. I have never seen in my lifetime or in modern political history uh, any presidential candidate trying to discredit the elections and the election process before votes have even taken place. It's unprecedented. It happens to be based on no facts. Every expert, regardless of political party, regardless of ideology, conservative or liberal, who has ever examined these issues in a serious way will tell you that instances of significant voter fraud are not to be found. So remember, this is a, a Barack Obama responding in September, in October, sorry, how President Trump's claims that Russia may be influencing our elections or trying to meddle are BS. Okay. Yet he was, he knew that there was a counterintelligence investigation 
that was started in the FBI from June, May, April even. I mean, his lawyer was working on it in March with Clinton and the DNC about creating this dossier and how they were election meddling and colluding. And these are his own words. Can you see impeachment? Because I see it. That... Keep in mind, elections are run by state and local officials, which means that uh, there are places like Florida, for example, where you've got a Republican governor whose Republican appointees are going to be running uh, and monitoring a whole bunch of these election sites. The notion that somehow if Mr. Trump loses Florida, it's because of those people that you have to watch out for. That is both irresponsible and, by the way, doesn't really show the kind of leadership and toughness that you'd want out of a president. You start whining before the game's even over. Oh, wow. Right? If if whenever things are going badly for you and you lose, you start blaming somebody else. (laughs) Aren't they doing that? Then you don't have what it takes to be in this job. But the larger point that I, I, I want to emphasize here is that there is no serious person out there who would suggest somehow that you could even you could even rig America's elections in part because they're so decentralized and the numbers of votes involved there's no evidence that that has happened huh so he but the president was complaining that Russia rigged the election and this is a response that Obama gave I mean, think about it. Uh, You know, how is this even happening? You know, how is he even saying it with a straight face? And he's saying um, that President Trump complaining uh, that he's blaming someone else because he's losing, uh, you know, uh, is preposterous. And, uh, you know, that he shouldn't, he doesn't have the, um, the guts to be in uh, uh, the White House because of that. So he is literally saying that Trump saying that the elections are rigged and that Russia is influencing the elections is rubbish. He said that. He said that. That is what he said, and I'm, I'm just going to pull out the video where he's like, Vladimir um, Putin, it's ridiculous that he would say that the Russians um, influenced... Uh, hold on, let's see. Where do we go? Good afternoon, everybody. There we go. I'm not confident that we can trust the Russians with Vladimir Putin, which is why we have to test whether or not we can get an actual cessation of hostilities uh, that includes an end to the kinds of aerial bombing and... Uh, civilian death uh, and destruction. Uh, If Mr. Trump is suggesting that there is a conspiracy theory that is uh, being propagated uh, across the country, including in places like Texas, uh, uh, where typically it's not Democrats who are in charge of uh, voting booths, That's ridiculous. That doesn't make any sense. And I don't think anybody would take that seriously. 
What? How could he say that? Think about it. How could he say that? He's sitting there ridiculing the president saying all these things. And, you know, Russia uh, hacking isn't really an argument. Like he's said this. Listen to the evidence. He knew that they had opened a counterintelligence investigation. Uniform intelligence assessments. The Russians were responsible for hacking the DNC. And that as a consequence, uh, it is important for us to review all elements of that and make sure that we are preventing that kind of interference uh, through cyber attacks in the future. Uh, That should be a bipartisan issue. That shouldn't be a partisan issue. And uh, my hope is that the president-elect is going to similarly be concerned with making sure that we don't have potential foreign influence in our election process. I don't think any American wants that. Uh, and uh, that shouldn't... Guys, this is him talking December be a source 16th. of an argument. I think that part of the challenge is that it gets caught up in the uh, carryover from election season. And I think it is very important for us to distinguish between the politics of the election and the need for us as a country, uh, both from a national security perspective, but also uh, in terms of the integrity of our election system and our democracy, uh, to make sure that we don't create a political football here. So he was on video in August and in September claiming that there's no way anyone can rig the elections. Uh, Trump is crazy. Why is he saying this? This is dumb. Saying that it's a rigged election is nonsense. You know, and then you see him on December 16th, which, by the way, his intelligence officials at that time were in England working with Hannigan at the GCHQ, putting together more of this Russia dossier he had all this information that Russia hacked the DNC. That's all he said. And that influenced the election, supposedly. But he never, ever, ever gave a defensive briefing throughout his time to the president saying, this is what happened. This is what we found. He didn't even let him know, yo, heads up. Because I'm really concerned that Russians hacked us. I'm really worried about the integrity of our nation, the integrity of your campaign people, the integrity of your incoming cabinet. You need to have your eyes open and your ears peeled. If it was a real thing, if it was a real threat, if it was a real occurrence, and it wasn't fake news and manufactured to just overthrow a duly elected president, he would have told him. This is why Barack Hussein Obama must be impeached. Because he fabricated information. He knew what they were doing. Because if it was a bona fide threat, his administration during transition would have told at that time President-elect Trump, yo, this is what's up. Before that, he was laughing about it, saying they can't rig elections. You know, he needs to stop. We don't have Russians, you know, coming in. Remember, 
Obama was the one that says the Russians can't rig our elections. Yet there he is in December after Hillary lost. Well, the Russians have meddled in our elections. But never once. Never once. Because if this was a real concern, a real threat to our national security, he would have told him. Because that is his obligation. It's like he's leaving the presidency, but doesn't tell the president that there's a threat? Like, why wouldn't you do that? You're supposed to be the outgoing president. You're supposed, you have months to hand over this information, but instead you have Clapper, Brennan, Strzok, Page, Comey, and all those other disgusting clowns out at the United Kingdom, out flying around to New Zealand, putting together information to tie this Russian fake manufactured conspiracy theory that you've been peddling tied to president-elect Trump, this is why you didn't tell him. Because there was no real threat. Because it was manufactured. The only time you mentioned the Russians is when you needed to say, well, you know, it's the Russians' fault that Hillary lost. Weren't you the one saying, accept the election results, nobody can rig it, the Russians can't get into it, yet this happened? This is where we need to move for impeachment. I'm going to be putting together... Uh, a website where people can submit their names, um, like a form on the Tory Says um, website. I'm going to put up a form this weekend where I will ask of you guys every single day on my show and tweet it out as well to submit your name and email address requesting um, our members of the House to put forward impeachment proceedings against Barack Hussein Obama because of this. These, This is... A bona fide argument and grounds for impeachment. Because in essence, if indeed this Russia collusion BS, this Russia hacking BS was remotely true, let's pretend it was 100% true, and there is like a 1% truth to it. Okay, let's take that 1%. That is a 1% truth of, of an attack and a problem with our national security. If there is a 1% chance of a bona fide threat to our national security, even though it was manufactured in BS by the Hussein administration, and he did not give a defensive briefing to the incoming administration, he did not give a transparent handover to the Trump administration, that means he put our national security at risk. And he did that, what? Knowingly. So the bottom line is, today, out of everything Barr said, and you all know I don't like Barr, is that he gave us enough information to initiate impeachment proceedings on Barack Hussein Obama. And of course, our members at the Senate and the House would love to do that. They don't have control of the House. But if we get enough signatures and we submit that request along with the signatures, names and email addresses of people that would like to initiate proceedings of impeachment of Barack Hussein Obama, 
that cannot go away. This is what the people want. It's not like Nadler with his little stupid hammer sitting there playing, doing a hissy fit. It's not, you know, someone putting forward an amendment that their constituents and their state wants. This is a national outcry demanding that Barack Hussein Obama be impeached, retroactively impeached. We need to impeach him for what he did. This is an impeachable offense. This is an impeachable offense. Everything else they're saying how they're going to impeach the president is BS. This is a bona fide issue. He, if he, if we say that all these clowns and the FBI and the CIA and the DIA and everywhere and all intelligence community elements that you don't even know about, this mobilization of an international effort was not a bona fide threat, it means that you all used your offices for political gain. So they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. They're going to have to tell us how it wasn't really a bona fide threat. Then why did you mobilize all these people? Then why did you put the Mueller? Uh, why did you appoint Mueller? If they say that to argue the impeachment proceedings, they're stuck. There's a lot of people going to get fired. On the other hand... On the other hand, if they say, okay, yeah, there was a threat, then Barack Hussein Obama is impeached immediately. This is as people, we need to understand the fights that we can initiate to help our country. We should be doing the work because our vote is just the result of the work we've done on research and holding them accountable. So like I said, I will put a page somewhere on the Tory Says page, and I will be tweeting it out, and I will be putting it together hopefully by this weekend, and so that way everybody can be submitting it while I formulate a really good letter to everybody and their mother to initiate impeachment proceedings on President Barack Hussein Obama. He needs to be impeached for this. Now, tomorrow it's going to be a pretty lit show. We're going to have a lot to talk about. Uh, On that note, since my hour is over so quick, I want to wish everyone a happy and healthy uh, day. It's the first of the month. I hope it sets the tone for the rest of your month to be awesome. We are blooming and exposing corruption this month. And, uh, you know, hold on to your seats because it's going to be a wild May and it's going to seem really, really long. From everyone here at Red State, I'd like to thank you for tuning in. I'll see you here tomorrow again, same time, same place on Red State Talk Radio, 12 to 2 p.m. Thanks for tuning in and God bless.